Welcome to Knit British, the podcast that explores all the connections of Britishness in wool, fibre and knitting. On this journey, meeting all of the people involved, from sheep to skein, I am your host, Louise Scully. Knit British and love local wool. Knit British is delighted to be sponsored by Croft29. A small family-run business, Croft29 is creating genuine Hebridean yarn from the ancient breed on the landscape that it first originated. Fleeces are hand-shorn on the Varwells Croft on the Trotternish Peninsula in Skye and the shearling fleeces go into creating a quality hand-knitting yarn. You can find Stephen and Rachel as Croft29 across social media and you can visit their Etsy shop by clicking on the logo in the show notes or visiting www.etsy.com slash uk slash shop slash Croft29. Hello and welcome in to episode 81 of the Knit British podcast. And thank you very much if you are joining us for the first time here. I hope you like what you hear. Do go over and join our Ravelry group for even more immersion into the wonders of local and British wool. And if you are a returning listener, thanks so much for coming back. It's always lovely to have you here. I am joined in the living room by the podcat, as usual, who is making her presence known. Uh, she has got a catnip hedgehog and is currently now attacking her play tunnel. So, as always, in Knit British, you always get a bit of background noise. I hope it's not too intrusive. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you very much for feedback since the last episode and for all the lovely things you had to say about our woolly mucker uh, from the last episode, uh, who is Christine Perry, uh, a.k.a. Winnick Mum. Uh, that was really nice. You welcomed her and uh, loved her interview. And uh, there was great interest in that entrelac jumper that she was talking about. So that was nice. <laughs> Today's episode, I'm picking up on the theme of value, which I started talking about on the podcast at the end of last year. I talked about the value of what we do as knitters and the, how the knowledge that we have uh, as knitters, as skilled craftspeople, um, has value and meaning. And I also talked about the idea of being knitworthy. But I've wanted to expand on that and actually look at those things in in different ways and explore that a bit more this year through the podcast. So today we're putting the focus on the value of learning and also the value of being able to teach knitting. I have an interview with Kerry Kimber who runs Knitting for All. Knitting for All are knitting and craft classes for all ages and abilities and I also attend one of the Knit Day classes run by Maddie Harvey here in Edinburgh. And so we can hear a little bit from the class participants about what learning, knitting and being part of a group has meant for them. And also I have a review of Croft 29 Hebridean yarn, which I was knitting at that knitting class uh, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so grab a whip. 
grab a drink and settle in for a good hour at least here at Knit British. I was first aware of Knitting for All at the first Edinburgh Yarn Festival back in 2013. And they had a stall there and they had some of the kids uh, from their kids' knit class there. And it was just lovely. They had fantastic branding. I was really struck by the fact that they had such a drive behind the brand to teach knitting and to um, pass that those skills on to the younger generations and the value of learning. And for me, who learned to knit at school and that was sort of funded through you know that was part of the curriculum I always thought of myself as very lucky having had been taught that school and lots of kids don't have the opportunity now so I was really struck by what Knitting for All were doing. So Knitting for All is made up of uh, teachers franchises across Scotland and in England and in Ireland these teachers own their own business, they own their own franchise. Uh, there are kids' knit classes, there is the young people knit classes, which are teenagers, and there's the adult knit night and knit day. Some of the franchisees will run their class perhaps as a, just an adjunct, as an as a extension of their love for knitting, and they just want to pass on, you know, run a class and, and share their love for knitting. Um, and other franchisees make a real business focus and run a lot of classes and I was I just really loved the idea and you'll hear from me talking with Kerry how you know it doesn't matter what your skills are as a teacher um, if you can knit and you have that love to pass it on and you you know you have those communication skills and you have that drive um, then you you can teach a class too. It's really lovely speaking to Kerry. You know, her focus for her business is as profound as her love for knitting and her belief that the value of craft and not just teaching and, you know, teaching and learning are really important things. So I could have talked to Kerry for hours. And in fact, we did talk for ages. I've tried to keep the edit um about knitting for all and it would be lovely to have Kerry back on another time because we there was lots of things that we had in common and lots of things we were in in agreement on and um, when it comes to value and meaning of knitting skills and what those can do for a person we certainly had a lot to agree on so so get your cuppa and listen uh, to how Kerry took her love of craft and created her business knitting for all around that to be perfectly honest i can't actually remember when i learned to knit. <laughs> the sort of feel that i've always been able to which of course can't be true but i have no vivid memories of actually learning to form stitches um i think probably like a lot of people it was my mum and my granny that showed me how to knit but no, I, I can't remember the actual 
learning process. But a pivotal, a pivotal moment for me was my mum going off to a K-Facet workshop. Um, when she came home, she got a big basket of all kinds of yarn. I mean, to be honest, it was mostly acrylic, but you know, it was very exciting to me. And she said, we can make anything with this. And, and that was, that was for me, that was the biggest thing that kind of sparked my interest in it. Cause you know, I started with that glorious knitting book. I don't know if you've seen Kay Facets first, mm-hmm. the one that propelled him to stardom. Yeah. I started knitting these big cardigans all to my own design. I would just, How you fantastic. know, pick out balls of wool and just start knitting with it. But yeah, we never had anything like that at school mm-hmm. or um, there was never, in fact, it was actually a really embarrassing thing to be known to do. So there was no way they were learning it in school and, and that there was no way that I was going to even confess that I was a knitter, you know, it was just too embarrassing. So you've always been a knitter. Mm-hmm. How did you get the idea to start the classes? Well, it's kind of, it's, it's like it was always meant to be because it pulled together so many different threads of my life when I started um, the classes. Basically, yeah, my my mum and granny uh, taught me to knit and I grew up in a house that was full of yarny things and my mum was a textiles teacher, used to be a fashion designer and there was always something creative going on in the house and if I ever said to my mum, I want to make whatever, she never said, no, we can't. She always said, yes, we can, let's do it. So that was the kind of house that I grew up in and then I went to art college and I did a degree at Edinburgh Art College in tapestry and then I taught for a little while. I trained as a, an art and design teacher and went and taught at Musselburgh Grammar as a high school art and design teacher. And then started a family and stopped teaching and then worked as a, a photographer for a little while doing weddings and things, which I absolutely loved. But I have to say, I was not so interested in the gadgets, the cameras and all yeah. that kind of thing. I was really interested in the photographs, but there'd always be somebody at the wedding with a better camera than me uh, who was very keen to show it to me. Oh, yeah. So, I know, frustrating. But anyway, um, when I had... I had four children, and, um, I, and I still have four children. <laughs> and when my youngest was about 18 months or so, I was thinking, right, really, I need to get properly into this wedding photography malarkey and do it more seriously, start earning a proper income. And uh, I just really didn't want to. And I really felt like I was dragging my heels over it. I was thinking, oh, I don't want to do a website. I don't want to have to do my own accounts properly. You know, all that kind of thing. (laughs) All the many excuses you can come up with. Meanwhile, I'd been really getting back into my knitting. And uh, I'd been showing my friends my knitting. And they were all saying, oh, I'd love our kids to learn to knit. But they, you know, they were that kind of misgeneration kind of my generation I'm 45 and you know there's loads of people my age that can't knit they never learned because they didn't want to learn it wasn't in the school curriculum or or it was either acrylic or it was wool itchy scratchy yeah. wool um that they uh, that they didn't want to knit with I said to my husband why don't I just run a summer school do a like a week's long knitting classes for kids in a church hall local church hall so, and he said yeah that's, that's a great idea so um I started thinking about publicizing that but then the following two weeks after that, I had this kind of vision of where it could actually go. Because <clears throat> I was attending um, classes with my kids, things like Tumble Tots and Enjoyable, and they're all franchised businesses. And so I could see that there was a franchised model there um, and that it could be a really interesting way of expanding a business. So before I knew it, I was doing all the things I didn't want to do for the wedding photography, like the website, building my own website, buying domain names, getting emails set up, getting an accountant, you know, all these kinds of things. 
the classes for kids went really well. And so I started with the summer school and then went on and, and did classes in my house on a Friday afternoon and then started going into schools. And, yeah, that was the birth of it, really. That was and that was a long answer to a very quick yeah, question you asked. Yeah, but that's good because... So you kind of... The whole idea was quite fully formed. You knew that you wanted to yeah. go down the franchise route. Yeah, so it wasn't going to be... I'll try this and see how it goes. It was just this is yeah. I really wanted it to be professional, and I mean, there's a lot. There are a lot of people who would say that, um, oh, you know, their granny can just teach them to knit, or you know, it's not. In some ways, the knitting skills are not seen as having as much value as the piano lessons yeah. or the swimming lessons. I mean, swimming is essential, life saving. Yeah. But I wanted to do something that was just a little more formal than you know, your granny just sitting alongside you and knitting. So there was that. I wanted it to have a professional feel to it. And I also wanted to keep kids interested. So I wanted to have lots of patterns and, you know, we give them stickers and certificates and stuff like that. Yeah, Yeah, I just had this idea that I really wanted it to spread and not just be for the kids in my area, but, you know. And the other thing is that I knew so many people... I say so many people, I do exaggerate. I knew a few people who would be interested in teaching. Did They didn't know stuff about insurance yeah. or how to um, contact Disclosure Scotland and work out, you know, the PVG certificate, DBS uh, or whatever. And they also didn't, they didn't feel confident necessarily in writing patterns. So I knew that I had a lot of stuff that I could actually share with other people. And so franchising just seemed really obvious. Yeah, and so it's, there's a lot of support that, there that you provide to all your franchisees as well then, I guess. And You know, there's a lot when you first start a business, whatever business it is, it's so difficult, yeah. you know, to find out everything from scratch. A lot of people, when they start a business, they don't go into business because they want to start a business. They go in because they love doing whatever the business is yeah. doing, whether it's, I don't know, wedding photography or, um, you know, styling people's hair or whatever it's, you know, it's it's that that they love doing it's not the you know hmrc self-assessment forms and um all that kind of thing so but those things are really important you have to deal with them so yeah we give them a lot of support on that as well as there's kind of information that i've gathered through experience i suppose um you know about how to contact schools how to approach them then there's different ways of you know communicating with the schools and you know, we go in and do assemblies and things just That's to promote brilliant. the classes and stuff. So it's all that kind of information that yeah. that we share to make sure that people can can do it with the least amount of stress. So all the new franchisees get two days training um, where we actually sit together and go through, you know, website stuff and um, and and a little bit about the the Kids Knit program, which yeah. is fairly structured. Then after that. They get mentoring on the phone and emails and things like that to make sure they're, you know, they're confident and happy. And that can be quite substantial. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, if, if that's a person down in England and I'm up in Scotland, there's not much getting together. But we also have optional extra training days for those that can manage to get there. So there was one yesterday. So we have two in Edinburgh every year, one in England. Um, and then now that we've got two franchisees in Ireland, but I'm thinking probably we'll do one in Dublin yeah. every year as well. But do you want to say the, the structure? There's the kids' net, and mm-hmm. there's young people net, and then there's the knitting night knit, and day. Knit, knit night and day, yeah. yeah. One for adults, yeah. So it's the three kind of groups of people. It always started with kids' knit, that's, and that's always been the kind of 
the driving force of the business mm-hmm. is, has been about getting the children knitting. Um, but yeah, once that was established, teenagers and adults wanted to join in too. Good. So we don't have as many teenagers, um, but we offer it for where there's, you know, not all the franchisees um, provide those classes, but occasionally the, you know, there's a, a desire among yeah. the local people for that kind of thing. <laughs> um, and the, uh, the adults ones are quite varied. Sometimes they're weekly things where, that people drop into, mm-hmm. and sometimes they're little short courses like somebody might offer learn to knit socks over a period of six weeks or four weeks or whatever just a short finite but quite specific project that that you're going to work on so yeah and do you find some of the younger kids can graduate to the to the next yeah I think we're going to start to see the young people knit grow a little bit um just with the transition of um children from kids knit because that my um I don't own my um initial franchise anymore. My you know, my little business anymore yeah. um in Christophen where I live. I um have passed that on to Maddie. Mm-hmm. But children that I was teaching in Kids Knit there have moved on to her YPK um classes on a Friday afternoon. So there's yeah, there are, I mean you lose some along the way. Some yeah. of them disappear off and they do other things, you know? Yeah. Um which is completely fair enough and they'll probably come back to knitting you know when they're 30 and what about the adults are you finding that is it quite a mixture is it absolute beginners or a real mixture the knit like that i attend is maddie's one um just along the road from me there are lots of very experienced knitters i mean you know far more experienced than me and yet they all still want to meet together you know they're not there for you know learning how to do things necessarily they're yeah. there they come along because they really enjoy talking about knitting yes. and seeing what skeins of yarn people have just bought at yes, Edinburgh Yarn Festival or whatever. That's the, for a lot of your knitting, it's a, it's a solitary act, mm-hmm. and then you mm-hmm. come together, these things. It's... Yes. For that particular one, there's a little bit of teaching, um, but it's more um, a, a, like a community. Yeah. Um, but for other knit nights, yes, there's a lot more teaching. I think also it depends on how old the individual business is, because a lot of the time... People will advertise, you know, the franchisees will advertise that, you know, this is a course for beginners. And then out of that will grow a kind of a community that want to keep on meeting, meeting together. So, yeah, I think it, it changes over the the course of the years. Yeah. Um, you know, you might never have been part of a group before, um, but having that is, is a really, you know, not just the learning part of it, but the community part of it. It's such a becomes more important than you ever think you need yeah i know absolutely right yeah yeah yeah, it's an incredible thing how many franchises have you got 21 and so where are they all over the uk mostly well mostly around edinburgh actually because word of mouth has worked really quite effectively people can actually see the classes kind of happening and there's a lot of um local edinburgh marketing that's um that's helped um, and then we've got people as far north as Aberdeenshire and as far south as West Sussex. So we've got, wow. you know, I think we've got five in England and, and, and two Ireland. in Ireland. Yeah. That's amazing. amazing. Love to have some people in Northern Ireland, but none yet. Well, and Wales, we haven't got Wales either. <laughs> you said that the, the idea was sort of a fully farmed thing. Did you mm. ever think that it would get quite this big? You know, did you think yeah. it would be more Edinburgh situated? Or, well, yeah. I, I, yes. I, I mean, I, I really firmly believe that it is a big company yeah. waiting to happen, a, a big business. Um, we're not quite there yet. I have such a strong belief 
in what I'm doing. I yeah. so profoundly believe that what Knitting for All provides for both the teachers and the people attending the classes is really meaningful. And for me, it's not about counting the franchisees and saying, oh, I've got, you know, 150 franchisees or whatever. It's not, it, it's not, I mean, that is a measure of some success. Um, but that's not what's so important to me. I just, I want it to grow big because I, I see the benefits of it. I see how important it is. And I'm really excited about it. But that said, I go through phases and it was really difficult in the early years. I had great support from my husband and a couple of friends who were absolutely brilliant and who really kept me going when I found it difficult. Because all all the little things like, you know, we were talking about earlier, finding out about insurance and um, finding venues to run classes and then what yarn are we going to use and is that too expensive? All these questions were, I found, quite overwhelming on occasion. And if I stopped to look at the end goal, which was this quite big business, I found it completely dizzying because I would look at all this stuff that I needed to get through to get to that the pinnacle of the mountain and just go, oh God, I can't, I can't actually look up there just now. And so I had to just, I, I mean, I really drew on my friendships and, and my husband was just fantastic. But I also had to just look at the next step. Sure. So I had to write a list, right? What do I need to find out today? What do I need to do today? And not look at the, not look at the goal um, too much. You can only stand back and look at the pinnacle of the mountain when you're on a really firm ledge. You know, that's when you've got space to stand back. You're right, you need support as well. And Like, anyone who doesn't get that goes, knitting? And that is enough to knock you back off that. Absolutely. Even just the smallest amount of, uh-huh. really, yeah. makes you go, oh, God. So having the pe- right people around you to go, yes, do it. Uh-huh. And, you know, yeah. you can do this. You mm-hmm. can get to that next bit. That's yeah. an amazing thing to have. It's, yeah. it's so true, because I remember going to meetings, you know, like I did um, I did a little bit of training in keeping accounts and you know, various things that Business Gateway provide, which yeah. was fantastic. And they were all lovely, they were all great, but I did feel slightly... I didn't want to say what my business was about because I back then it's like six or seven years ago now that I was doing all that. And even six or seven years ago, knitting was not as cool and okay no. and acceptable as it is now. No. And so I, I really did feel a little bit uncomfortable and I, I did get a little bit teased for it, you know, in, in kindness, you know, people yeah. were being nice, yeah, but, but, it, but, you know... You feel that. Yeah, you know, I, when it's the thing that you want to do for your business, or even if you don't, you're not doing it for business, it's something that means a lot to you. Any kind of edge towards the cliches and stereotypes, you all, you yeah, either exactly. put the hackles up or you're just like, I, I can't even... It's hard because you think, how can I explain this to you in terms that you'll understand? I know, that's it. And I really very desperately wanted to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. I want knitting to be taken yeah. seriously for all that it's a tremendously huge amount of fun. You know, it's a it's it, a really valuable thing. It's, it's a really valuable skill, skill. And it's not just the skill uh, and the actual practicalities of learning to knit. There is so much else that's involved there. It teaches you patience. It teaches you to, you know, how to approach your mistakes and what are you going to do? Are you going to throw it away and never look at it again or are you going to persevere? And that's an incredible thing. Then All of the other things you can unpack in knitting mm-hmm. and craft is an amazing thing and that must be really rewarding, particularly to see that with children, I think, yeah. teaching yeah. children. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, there's there are lots of things that they, they don't even recognise or good for the minute you know but I mean one of the things that I love most about 
teaching children is seeing their confidence grow and seeing them start to believe and to be fair it's not just about knitting it's about being creative in general and be yeah. and using your hands doing things with your hands to make something out of your own imagination it it encourages this kind of feeling that they can do things that they're actually capable and they they have kind of confidence in what they can make with their own hands especially if they've come up with things their own ideas some of the ideas the kids come up with in the classes are unbelievable (laughs) unbelievable and they do them and they're happy with them we've got all these patterns i've worked very hard to produce lots of patterns but somehow i never quite have all the patterns that they require (laughs) so we'll get somebody who we've had a a wee boy who said he wanted to knit a helter skelter and it's very easy to just go no you can't do that (laughs) but we never do we always say well how are you gonna have you got an idea of how you want to start this what what is your plan so then they they start to say well I'm gonna cast on so many stitches and I'm gonna knit this and then I'm gonna cast off really tight so it curls around or and they're never disappointed at the end of it and I I love that that's they get so much out of that and it's that thing of if you get confidence in learning to knit and the things that you're making it shows you know it reminds them about to be pleased with their other achievements in life Mm. as well knitting is just such a good metaphor for so many things well the seeds of all kinds of things because it's not just about the knitting as we keep saying it's about feeling creative you know even if they don't come back and knit again you know when they're 30 or 40 or whatever they've still they'll still have learned something really important in doing it you know it helps things like spatial recognition and helps math skills I mean I always used to think that I was rubbish at maths um I am really quite rubbish at mental arithmetic I do rely on my calculator on my phone a lot but the amount I use maths to work things out in um in my knitting is incredible don't put a whole like sheet of thumbs in front of me to do no I couldn't do that but I can I can do some of the crazy maths and knitting well because it's got a practical application hasn't it and you see a purpose and you almost don't realize that you're doing maths and that's what we see with the children you know you you tell them that you're going to do a I don't know if you especially fair isle actually fair isle's great for maths you you don't sit them in front of a chart to begin with with um when they're learning fair isle you give them two colors of wool and you say right every other stitch you're going to change color how many have we got and how many stitches did you find did you start with and so how many of the pink are going to appear in one row and then you know if they start trying to work out an actual pattern that they you know they don't want to just be told to yeah um so they try and work out a little zigzag or something they've actually got to properly consider some maths and it's really good for them it's brilliant it'd be good to know uh speak to the math teachers and see if their maths is yeah yeah it would be interesting wouldn't it (laughs) So what do you see happening next? What's the next stage, do you think? I think at the moment it's probably more of the same. So, um, you know, we want to get more teachers um, Mm -hmm. around the UK and Ireland. Yeah, I think a little bit of just kind of, I don't know, bedding in, you know, with, with what we're doing, you know, making sure that all the teachers that we've got right now are really well supported. Yeah. Um, And making sure that, we're reaching all the children and teenagers and adults out there that, that we possibly can to share this amazing thing. Yeah. Um, that, I think, for a little while, for a few years, that probably is is what I'll be doing, is focusing on incre- recruiting more teachers and making sure my current teachers are are happy. And um, then Europe, do you think? Do you have the franchises elsewhere? I, I don't, know, And I do get a lot of interest from 
um, America, Australia, New Zealand. Have, a few people have been in touch from New Zealand over the years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying I get interest every week from no. people abroad, but you know, from time to time, I get you know emails from people saying, you know, could could you franchise to Australia? Um, Europe, I would consider. It's I think it's actually probably easier to franchise into Europe. Yeah. Anytime you franchise into another country, you have to get the legal documents in place. So obviously, I've got them for Ireland, um, and so it would make sense to expand into Ireland mm-hmm. first. Perhaps Europe. I guess I'd, I'd have questions about translating patterns and things. That yeah, would, that would be an expense. Yeah, you, you never, never know. How wonderful would that be to look at your map and see all I know, those. I know. It would be, it would be fantastic. <laughs> I love looking at on the map to see how many kids' knit classes there are. That's, yeah. that's one of my... It's, in, it's incredible. I was looking at that, actually, and the amount of um, teachers who are just... Doing loads and loads and loads. I know. Like that's how yeah. you get, like, you know, not just, obviously it's a business, but like, yes. I think I get the sense that there's just such huge dedication and passion for absolutely. what Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, being perfectly honest, people don't take on a Knitting for All franchise to make themselves wads of cash. You know, they're not going to become millionaires, but they take it on because they they feel really passionately that they want to share their love of knitting. So they tend to be people who are really good communicators. They might not be super-duper expert knitters at everything. You know, I mean, I'm not sure any of us could really say that we're expert at teaching. There is still so much to learn, so you can always feel, even if you've been knitting for many decades and you're pretty good at Fair Island, you know, shaping your jumpers just so, you can still feel like you're not an expert because you've never tried brioche or, you know, you've never tried entrelac, you know, (laughs) whatever it is, you know. (laughs) Yeah, but but, so a lot of people, one of the first questions they ask me when they inquire about being a teacher is, they say, how good do you have to be? I always say it's about your communication skills and not your knitting skills. And also, I suppose you need to have a sense of capability and a a confidence in your ability to learn something. So if somebody says, for example, at your knit night, I'd really like to learn how to do brioche, you could say, okay, well, I I don't know how to do it at the moment, but give me a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, It's a question of just feeling confident. So what are you looking for in a a franchising? Like, like give us your pitch. Okay, my pitch would be... (laughs) Um, I guess communication skills are really important. Yeah. So it's it's people who like to to spend time with other people. Um, somebody who is very passionate about knitting because um, that means that they will ooze the joy of knitting and um, they'll, they'll be a great kind of person for sharing the love of knitting. A lot of the people, you know, when I look at my current franchisees, they ha- they're very different. They they have very different um, family circumstances. Some of them aren't married, some of them have lots of children, some of them are working another job. You know, there are all kinds of different commitments people have in their lives. So there's no special set of circumstances that would make a Knitting for All franchise the ideal um, thing to do. You know, it's, it's almost anybody mm-hmm. um, who wants to run a few classes a week. So, you, but you can kind of run it as how it you fit. want. Yeah, yeah, make it fit. I don't know if I answered the question there. Did I? <laughs> I think you did. <laughs> but do you want to say where people can find out more information about either joining a class or becoming a fran- franchisee? Well, if um, if anybody's interested in becoming a teacher and um, becoming a, a knitting for all franchisee, we've got um, a page on our website called Become a Teacher, 
and that gives a little bit more information about um, becoming a teacher but also there's a form that they can fill in and then PDF will be emailed to them. So that would be a good starting point for somebody who um, thinks it might be of interest. And if people are interested in classes, we've got um, a map with lots of pins in it showing where our teachers are and what classes they run um, or what's available. And that's on the Find a a Class page on our website, which is knittingforall.com. Awesome. And it's an F-O-R in the middle, not a number four. (laughs) That's brilliant. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure. Thanks so much to Kerry for coming over for a chat and... I love what what she said about, you know, how she always felt that that this business needed to be and this is how it was going to be and she was going to have franchises and it's fantastic to see, you know, how how that's gone. And we were talking about Edinburgh Yarn Festival, as I said there. First time I saw a knitting for all was at the first Edinburgh Yarn Festival. And this year, you know, she said how people, for the first time, in, on such a scale, people were like, oh, knitting for all, I know about you, I'd like to be, become a teacher. And there is the knowledge of what they do. And that's, that's, that's the really amazing thing, the power of learning craft and what that unlocks. Um, that's a very palpable thing, isn't it? You can, you, can, or you, can feel, you can almost feel that. So I think as a lovely compliment to that chat, I thought it would be lovely to go to one of the knitting for all classes and find out what it means for participants who go to the classes and I attended Maddie Harvey's Friday Knit Day class in a cafe in Kerstorfen a couple of weeks ago and I met Lizzie and Caroline and Catherine and her son Jamie and Emma and this is a really lovely group to come to. Maddie teaches various classes Uh, from the kids' classes to young people knit to knit night and day classes. And having been a teacher herself, you know, she already knew and understood the value of learning before starting the franchise. But again, Maddie is another one of these people who just strikes you as having a deep love and passion for the craft and not only wanting to share that with others, but being a really incredible teacher too. I will say that there is background noise in in the recordings that you're going to hear today because we were in a cafe, and a cafe on a very busy uh, St John's Road in Kersorfen. Um But again, I love that kind of thing because it adds to the texture, and I, I kind of want you to feel like you're you're there with us too. The group has been established for over a year now. Well, they often work on group exercises and patterns that Maddie. Um, can provide them with. Sometimes participants bring their own projects to work on, always under the gentle but watchful teacherly eye of Maddie. Well, Maddie does it in a nice way. We'll be sitting there knitting away and she'll be looking at us and she'll go, hey, could you just have a look at that for a minute? And like, you've been doing it backwards or you've added extra stitches in. I never quite know whether I should say yeah. or at what point I should it's good though yeah, it's no, it's very nice. <laughs> I like that learning to knit and coming to the group means different things to each of the women who, who go there and have a listen to Caroline and then Catherine and then Lizzie talking about what coming to Maddie's knit class has meant for them 
before as well. Well, I knitted. My granny used to knit, and I knitted when I was a wee girl. And then I did some knitting at school, and I had a really horrible knitting teacher, and she ripped my teddy bear apart. That, yeah, so that sort of put my put my knitting sort of experience to the side, and then I had a year off work last year, and I thought this I've always wanted to get back into it, and saw this on just advertising the window, I think. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Or on Facebook maybe? Yeah, that's what it was, and it's lovely. It's really nice, and I find. I don't know, once you get something that you can do and you can power through, it's quite satisfying. Yeah. I'm doing socks at the moment and I'm not really enjoying that. What is it that you find about it? That you it's the instructions. They're, they're plentiful and they look complicated. <laughs> so I'm going to do an Easter check instead. I know you will support me through it, Because you said you did it at school and got put off. How dare that teacher? I know. You off. <laughs> I hope something dreadful happened to their knitting. <laughs> I had no luck with the knitting techniques. But have you ever had you ever been in a group like this before? Like a no, craft group or anything I like that? I haven't actually and it's lovely. And I've got to make new friends as well. And mm -hmm. It's just lovely, you're getting to know other people just in the street up from you. It's really nice. So have you been doing the knitting for a year as well? Uh, yeah, I guess so. And before that so I did it with my childminder when I was younger. And mom was at work and used to make friends wonky toy. Then I took it up again when I was pregnant with my first child um, and knitted baby toys. And then I did it again when I was pregnant with him. And then in between I just fell out of it. And I was just saying that while he's been at nursery, even though when I was doing the class I was doing knitting in between, just because I wasn't coming to this class, I sort of I've fallen out of the way for it. And I've been a bit stressed this week, so I'm really pleased to be here. Zen. It, it is that though, yeah. isn't it? A bit of zen. I've just finished a big blanket, which I started, well it wasn't actually that big, it was a small blanket, but <laughs> it was big in my mind, um, and I started that um, about three, four years ago, and I wow. finally finished it How at this lovely. class. Um, so Did the class give you the incentive to do that? Yeah, well like, every week everyone's like, oh it's coming along, you know, you're nearly there, you're nearly a bit more. Um, so yeah, lots of encouragement. Oh nice. So now what have you started on? You're doing a heart. Now I'm doing heart, which is really just to sort of teach me a few new skills because I have to make stitches and do slip slip knits and other things. So it's not knitting backwards and forwards on no, the blanket. exactly, which is <laughs> what I've been doing. Yeah. I again when I was in, in London oh, yeah. um, and I just had a baby and um, London suddenly became quite a lonely place. Um, yeah. And you're suddenly not working and not doing anything that's stuck with this tiny new baby going, oh, what do I do now? <laughs> And then someone said, would you like to come and do some knitting? And I was like, no, not really. Um, <laughs> struggling um, here enough as it is. And then I'm like, oh, it's free childcare. And I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sign me up now. <laughs> uh, so, no, there was a teaching element to it. Um, and um, every so often we would, have, we would put our needles down and listen to a, a sort of 10 minute lecture on something to do with history of knitting or intarsia or whatever. I think it was set up by one of the children's centres, Westminster Children's Centre had sort of set it up. That's um, and um, it was, it was it was brilliant. My family were hundreds of miles away. Um, and so you know being able to um, sit and knit and talk about you know all sorts of things but also you know getting advice on, on you know, how to be a mum yeah. kind of sharing sharing problems over knitting. It doesn't matter if you are someone who only ever knits 
garter stitch blanket squares or you are the biggest Ravelry knitter of the, them all. It doesn't matter if you have every single indie pattern going or you um, just dip in and out of knitting throughout your life. We are all tied together through sticks and string and we might all be different in the techniques that we know or the skills that we have. You know, some of us might knit squares, some of us might knit jumpers, some of us might aspire to socks. What is in all that and is shared in that are words like that were used there like zen. Knitting is my zen. Knitting is my oasis. Knitting is my time out. That is a hugely important thing. That's an incredibly important thing that you have something for you that take, can take you away from everything else, but also ties you together with like-minded friends coming together for a knitting class or going to knit night or going to Edinburgh Yarn Festival together. The, and the community aspect is huge and so valuable too. And then there's just the satisfaction from learning and showing what you can do and seeing your progress in the things that you make. That's incredible. And having a teacher who isn't like the knitting police, like Caroline's awful teacher who ripped her teddy apart. It's having people like Maddie and Kerry, people who say there's no wrong way, really, to do this. It's, it can all be fixed, and if it can't be fixed, it can be ripped out. And that kind of gentle guidance, that kind of care, only comes from someone who really loves what they do too, I think. In that zen, in that oasis, it teaches us a lot about ourselves too. You know, Kerry and I talked about how kids don't even realise they're learning the things that they learn from knitting. But, you know, there's things that we learn too. You know, again, patience and how to approach your mistakes. And that's an incredibly grounding thing, I think. And it's and knitting and craft is an incredible way to approach those topics and issues, I think. I've only touched on the, the surface of, of this and uh, of how, what it means to be able to teach and what it means to be able to learn. And again, I want to look at these things and, and explore these topics further over, over this year and, and when we're talking about value. But thank you so much to Kerry for coming over to Knit British uh, to talk about Knitting for All. Thank you so much to Lizzie, Caroline, Catherine, Emma... Uh, Maddie and also Jamie who was very good uh, eating his carrot cake um, I really enjoyed being in that group um, it was fantastic we talked about knitting and we talked about you know patterns and then we talked about different crafts and we talked about in the line of duty and <laughs> we talked about TV and we talked about other things happening in their community and it, it was really lovely to, to be part of that group and um, to, to feel um, that kind of atmosphere and be just be, again, be part of, of another group of people, a new group of people who I am linked to because of the craft that we all do. That was really lovely. So thank you very much to all of them um, for, for letting me come over. And thank you very much to Vigo's Cafe and Kerstorfen. And I absolutely do not have uh, any... Uh, license to be promoting the music that they were playing in the cafe but I'm sure they did have a public 
playing license. And so I'm hoping that if anybody complains, I can pay, <laughs> I can pay the debt to that. Uh, our sponsor this episode is Croft29, who produce Hebridean wool yarn from their flocks in Skye. Uh, you might remember last year, in fact almost exactly a year ago, I went to Dundee to interview Leona at Fluff and she had just taken delivery of this fantastic Croft29 yarn and I bought some, of course I did. Uh, it was lovely, it was it was an incredible yarn to me. I just was so drawn to the colour of it and then the sheepiness of it that I was like, I must, I need to have this. Instead of knitting with it a year ago, I actually crocheted with it. I was practising my, my crochet, granny crochet squares with it. Well, that's what I eventually did with it because I, I didn't know how to crochet a year ago. Um, that came later. But I, that's what I wanted to keep it for because I really wanted, I've been really wanting to learn to crochet um, to see different British breeds in the crochet fabric and I got into trouble for saying this last time but it is actually true there are a great many crocheters who only will ever use acrylic and cotton and while there are lots of us who are very much flying the flag for wool the genuine article in our crochet I'm I'm afraid that um, a lot of it is acrylic and cotton and um, actually wool deserves to be crocheted because it's incredible um but when, that was a total segue there. I'm so sorry. Um, when Croft29 got in touch with me to ask if they could sponsor an episode of the show, I thought, oh, I need to knit with this as well as crochet with it. Um, so I've got a menagerie of, of items here that I can talk about today. Uh, first of all, if you'd like to uh, meet Stephen and Rachel, the Varwells, and, and hear more about Croft29 and why they decided to start making yarn you can read an article with them at knitbritish.net i will put a link in the show notes but if you are already listening via knitbritish.net then you'll see it um you will also be able to read there my first impressions of the yarn but i will reiterate that here now (laughs) um at fluff as i say i was so struck by the color of the yarn it reminded me of fresh cut peat just that beautiful fudge brownie kind of colour, although peat, I can tell you from from experience, does not taste like fudge brownie, even though it looks like one. Um, chocolatey, there are swirls of caramel. I am using lots of sweet words, but that's how, that's kind of what I what this this yarn speaks to me in colour. But I couldn't get away from that sort of that colour of fresh cut peat and even the, you know, when you get up close and you can see slightly different flecks of colour and tiny little bits of of, um, kemp and um, little tiny bits of vegetation every now and again. It actually is very much like a slice of fresh cut peat. Um, It also was totally not like Hebridean yarn I'd seen before. Now, of course, we can't expect all yarn from the same breed to be homogenous. I mean, Hebridean wool from Skye is going to be different to Hebridean fleece that was grown on the mainland. In in fact, it could be vastly different to the Hebridean flocks next door. Um, You know, it's dependent on age, it's dependent on on the quality of the fleece. Um, 
also preparation. This is woolen spun and um, some Hebridean is worsted spun or semi-worsted spun. And the difference in that for me is that uh, this woolen spun is very lofty and woolly. Uh, worsted spun Hebridean is lean and drapey. It tends to keep a bit of the luster. But I, again, so struck by that colour. Just such a warm, warm chocolatey brown just gorgeous and I'm finding it very hard to get two pictures the same to show you the colour so you'll have to bear that in mind uh, when you look um, at the pictures again of course phone screens different from laptop screens and things like that but I'm really trying to get over how you know high cocoa solids that's what we're talking here and I could see from the yarn that the wool that's gone into it was shearling or younger fleeces because there's very little grey colouring in in the yarn at all. And you you know you do see that with a lot of Hebridean wool um, that it tends to be um, if it's if it's not the younger fleeces it tends to be a coarser grey um, coarser yarn with a lot more grey in it. Um, I'll put a bit picture of Hebridean sheep in the show notes. I met some at the. Scottish Smallholders Festival last year. I also sponsored a Hebridean from Shankend Farm and I'm currently spinning uh, the fleece from the 2015 and the 2016 clips. But that is a tale for another day, I think, uh, given the time we've got today. Um, They're a small sheep, a primitive breed, and are recognised... Oh, I say primitive breed, although I've been really fascinated this morning because I've been reading Deborah Robson's... Uh, fleece and fibre source book and that says that the current Hebridean sheep is possibly gone through a lot of modification and selection after they became popular on English estates in the late 1800s there's a possibility that it's been you know um, crossed or, or there's some inclusion of Black Welsh Mountain in there because Deb Robson and Carl Icarius do say in the book that they think the more the ancient Hebridean breed had more natural colouring on it, grey blue and russets, uh, and I think that's fascinating. And I wonder if any crofters, uh, particularly in the islands, have seen any of those colours coming back into the sheep. Um, I heard not just too long ago that some of the more ancient colourings of Shetland breed after years and years of it not being um, evident in in the sheep have started to to come back through the gene line. I think that's that's really incredible. I'd love to hear that if there are any Hebridean with um, you know the natural colours, um, different colours. That's again that's something else for another day. The fleece is, is deeply dark, lighter colours, caramelly tips in, in younger ones and getting greyer as they get older and the Fleece and Fibre Source book has the micron count between 29 and 38 and that 20, that lower end is on the edge where the fibres in the wool are, are, are more bendy. Do you remember we talked about this before that under 30 microns the fibres tend to be more flexible, over 30 microns they tend to be more sturdy and that's when you can often feel the prickle um, in wool. Uh, right, let's talk about the yarn then. The hand squish grab 
has a firm crispness. But as I always say, we should never judge wool on the hand squish grab alone. Why should we never judge wool on the hand squish grab alone, listeners? Because it isn't always indicative of how that finished yarn will make fabric and how that will wear and what that might become. Can all your special and unique qualities be discerned by squish alone? No, they cannot. (laughs) Uh, If you want to know more about the hand squish grab, I will put a link in the show notes. Running my finger and forethumb. No, my thumb and forefinger. I always say finger and forethumb. What's that about? Along the length of the yarn. And there's almost a downy, dry hand. A chalky loveliness. And when I untwist the ply, I can see that there are three strands making up that. I would say it's worsted iron. It's definitely got nine wraps per inch. When I crocheted with it, which I've got here, the unblocked one, I've got a a blocked one as well, uh, or it's currently blocking. When I crocheted with it, I just loved how plumpy and structured the yarn was in the crochet fabric. I think that this would be uh, incredible for a crochet crochet blanket, a bigger version or, or, or anything like that. It's just got such lovely structure and I used other British breeds different slightly lighter yarns in 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 gauge and um this more structured yarn has just held them together so beautifully so even though the sort of center of the square has different gauge yarns in it this herbardian has just pulled it all together so nicely and it's very proud um in in crochet and i think it would be fantastic for crochet stabilizing crochet edges around blankets things like that a bit firm it's lovely i don't know what it's like blocked um i will have to put in the show notes how that is because it's currently blocking i knitted not only a a swatch in this but also a wristy too which will become two wristies eventually i used the maze pattern by tinkan knits because i wanted to see a you know the difference between garter and ribbing and maze has got a lot of texture in it so that's why i chose that pattern and the yarn was lovely to knit up. Really flew through the fingers. The stitches flew in knitting in the round as well. It was it was quite quick with this sort of iron yarn. I'm a big fan of garter, as you know, and particularly garter stitch in Shetland because I love how that has a pop, uh, but it has a lovely halo and the Hebridean is very similar. I must say that halo on the yarn has become slightly more pronounced since it's been washed and blocked and there's just a lovely haze, little haze over the top of that. And I think that like Shetland wool, Hebridean is the kind of wool that will get softer and more lovelier as as you the more you wear it and, and block it and wash it. Of course, I haven't given this the full road test yet. I haven't worn it lots of times, um, so I can't tell you about pilling yet. Well, you know, I'll come back to it. I don't think it will, though. I don't think there'll be a dreadful amount of pilling. My little swatch, I, I again, I knit it in, in garter, and I blocked that a good sort of three quarters of an inch to an inch bigger than how it was cast off. And it's pretty much kept those dimensions, those block dimensions, so it's got great memory, um, softer, 
again rubbing it against the inside of my arm which is always a good place to test uh that still got that that dry that chalkiness but it's a creamy chalkiness which i know is a complete oxymoron um but there's a creamy feel to this yarn um with that kind of slightly dry hand i just really think this will be incredible in sweaters and hardy outdoor wear as well um again i find it really hard to get a good picture of of the color and also that lovely halo in this change in light but i would say that the color is even darker from from washing and it's sort of we're talking about that fudge brownie look about it that chocolate look i would say it's at least 75 percent cocoa solids <laughs> i really want a sweater's quantity of this now i think it will be amazing and i think that soft halo again is going to get more lovely and softer as time goes on i i met uh stephen and rachel very very briefly at edinburgh yarn festival and rachel had on a beekman tavern jumper which is a pattern by thea coleman and it's sort of like a fisherman's jumper it has cabling in it the cables look incredible in this yarn and also i bought a solder's corum hat pattern uh because i saw an amazing sample of that of example of that knit up in this very yarn at fluff so cables stand to attention look gorgeous but slightly feathered because of that beautiful halo i'd also like to try lace in it as well maybe maya's shawl by justina lorakovska which has um, a lovely bulky leafy lacy thing going on i think this yarn would be lovely for that but whatever you fancy knitting i think you're gonna find croft 29 a really lovely yarn uh, you can find them on Etsy if you go to the show notes. There's a link um, or you can click on their logo, but just search for them on Etsy. Prices start at £6 for 50 gram balls, £12 for 100 gram balls. Uh, they have just got their latest clip back from the Natural Fibre Company. And so I believe that that's all in hanks, 100 gram hanks. And you can also find Croft 29 at Select. Uh, stockists such as fluff where i bought my skeins and i think also my north american uh, listeners might find croft 29 at the woollythistle.com as well although i haven't checked that but i know she did stock it um so but if in doubt check out etsy uh, where you'll find them and do follow croft 29 on social media if you can because their images of the day-to-day life on the croft are awesome just just wonderful so that is craft 29 yarn and watch the space because i feel like there's going to be a lot of hebridean yarn in my future that is just about it for this episode i have a couple of things to tell you though if you go to knitbritish.bigcartel.com there might just be a bag or two left in the shop i was going to put them up earlier this week uh, but i was a little bit unwell and i've been waiting until i had a day off to do it once that initial lot goes there are a few more um and then but at the moment they're quite limited edition they are these ones are hand printed by joy the knitting goddess they say knit british love local wool on them and you're limited to buying only two also i have been hinting at something on social media and also on Ravelry, 
watch out for a blog post coming from me on the 21st of April, I think I have it scheduled for. If you don't already subscribe to my posts, you will see when you go onto the Knit British website, there's a little box that says subscribe by email. That means that you get all of my blog posts and podcast episodes straight to your inbox. Remakery. Well, I'm calling it Knitterly Motivation, um, a motivational theme uh, coming soon called Remakery. And um, I've got a blog post coming out about that on the 21st of April, and I'll have more info for you in the next episode, uh, which is the 28th. But I'm sure you can figure out what it, what it means. I haven't said hello to the new kids in the Ravelry group for ages, so let's do that really quickly because um, uh, I haven't had time this last wee while. Of course, I always love uh, to say hello to you guys. It's always really nice to have you take part in in the in the Ravelry group and um, join in there. Uh, everyone's so knowledgeable and lovely, and it's a really great community over in the Knit British Ravelry group. Right Girl 500, who is in Minneapolis. Mrs. Rowley, who's uh, Mary from Weatherby. We've got Pacific Rin, who is Lynn from Ipswich. We've also got Lady Skeinhorn. <laughs> That's a good name. That's Kim. And we've got MK Main Knitter, who's Jen, and she's in Maine. And we've also got CDP Viola who is Chrissy, and she's in North Carolina. Hi, you guys. And again, hello to everyone who has joined the Knit British Ravelry group. Um, whether you luck or whether you take part in lots of conversations, it's really lovely to have you um, over there. I will be back on the 28th of February. No, the 28th of April, when I will have our woolly mucker, Alison Main, uh, over and looking forward to meeting her uh, next week and interviewing her for the podcast. Thanks again to Kerry and to Maddie and the knitting group at Kerstorfen. Thanks so much to Croft29 and thanks again to you for listening. And Until next time, take good care. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Knit British podcast. To find out more, visit www.knitbritish.net. You can email me louise at knitbritish.net. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at knit underscore British. And I'm on Ravelry as Lyra. Take care of that throat. You're a big singing star now, remember? This California dude is just a little heavier than usual tonight. Really? Where I stand, the sun is shining all over the place.